Welcome back to the Blind Side Rewind. I'm Jeremy Timmerman, joined by my buddy Justin Baxley, the co-host. Co-host as in host of the same level as I am. Co-host sometimes sounds like the sidekick, you know, but that's not what this is. That's... I feel like we're both we're we're both Batman, Jeremy. We are both Batman. We're Batman and also Batman. <laughs> Look, he's never been in the same room with me, and he's never been in the same room with you. That's fact, so, Jack. That's a fact, Jack. We're both Batman. Uh, man, what a what a what a week uh, it's been since we've talked about Survivor. We finished up Kageyan last time, uh, and now we've moved on to a new season. Uh, and it was neither of the seasons we <laughs> talked about. And you know, I teased that because I had a feeling we would end up doing that. Um, I had a feeling we'd end up like discussing which ones because the, the the options are wide open to us. You know, we've only watched four or five seasons together, so and we only talked about uh, three of them, I guess. Uh, count yeah, winners well, war. right? So really, like two and like half of an episode. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So so the options were wide open. Um, we didn't uh, before we get into the stuff we're actually supposed to talk about. Are you drinking anything tonight? That's the important topic. Uh, actually, I went down to Miramar on, uh, Forsyth Road to pick up some dinner, uh, which I, by the way, I recommend if you're in Macon, Georgia ever check out this place I had, I picked up a hanger steak, uh, with, which was phenomenal, uh, and some oysters, uh, brought it home. Uh, but while I was waiting, I got a couple of drinks with my buddy, Chris Barroso, who's one of the best bartenders here in Macon, Georgia. Um, but I came home, I grabbed a beer. Uh, I am drinking some uh, some Piedmont, uh, some boat uh, boat drink volume two, uh, which is one of their uh, more popular sours. Uh, they they had a boat drink number one. They they came back. It was so popular they did a volume two. Uh, so that's what I'm drinking on tonight. What about you, Jeremy? I am rocking. I'm not as local as you, but I'm rocking from Athens, Georgia, a terrapin pine, uh, watermelon gosa, which is I know one that you're. A fan of and um so yeah i'm, I'm still rocking those my wife I actually picked up, hooked me up with i've had this six pack for a while because my wife actually picked up uh several beers for my birthday last week and i worked okay. my way through those so i've just been sampling the semi-local fare well happy birthday from the entire blindside rewind crew uh which is just me um, <laughs> i'm about to say we got a crew we got a crew over there uh Happy birthday, man. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Glad you got some good beer. Uh, I actually picked up a six-pack of that uh, Watermelon Goza yesterday. Uh, I happened to be in Kroger uh, last night, and I saw it on the shelf, and I was like, you know, I ha- had this in a while. Um, so I've got a couple of those in the fridge after I finish this uh, boat drink. I might go grab one of those. That, that's one of my favorite beers, man. It's got the – it's watermelon, but it has the salty flavor. Of, like, when I eat watermelon, I don't know about you, I add salt to it. And I dump it on there. And so this beer really makes me think I'm eating a piece of watermelon with some salt on it. Yeah, it's good. This is not a beer podcast, but in case you guys have not figured out. It could be. In case you guys have not figured out, if you ever find yourself in Macon, Georgia, hit one of us up because we can tell you all the spots to get the best food, to get the best beer, to get – we can let you know. Justin is actually yeah. – that, that's he's a professional, actually. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm an amateur. I'm a, a well-known amateur and a high-ranking amateur. Uh, Justin is actually a professional. 
So see, see, see. I'm uh, I'm actually the food writer for our local newspaper, and uh, during COVID right now, I am I am like a scouting department for for the Braves, <laughs> and I'm scouting out some of these new restaurants for us to review once we get the reviews back going. And so I'm going and picking up some meals from some different places around town. Uh, Look at you, sacrificing for the people. Sacrificing for the people. <laughs> yeah, I ate a hanger steak and some oysters tonight just for the people. You, what, what a guy. God bless you, Justin. God bless you. You're just you're out some, here. I had beignets with ice cream. I mean, come on. You, I, I, I do it for the people. You suffer for these people. They don't even appreciate it, I don't think. They don't appreciate, appreciate what you do for the people of Macon, Georgia. They really don't. I, I know. They don't. But you know what? I'm going to continue to do it because I love the people that much. You're, you're, you're a true man of the people. So we didn't go with either of the Survivor seasons we talked about. We had talked about um, David versus Goliath. We talked about uh, Panama. We did neither of those things. And we went with Millennials versus Gen X. Justin, just a real quick uh, elevator speech. Why did you recommend this season as one we should watch? So, uh, going back to when I watched through the first time, Millennials versus Gen X is one of my favorite casts. And if you kind of notice the trend of the seasons I've picked for you so far, Jeremy, it's first time casts with some solid characters on it, some returners. Um, and it's been you know, outside of, I guess, token chains, um, it's been seasons with a little bit of a theme to it. Um, this particular one, um, I just felt like, I know you're not a huge Adam fan because of, of his performance on Winners at War, but I just felt like there were some guys and some characters on this season uh, that are just super good and that have great arcs, not even full Survivor arcs where you see them returning and and other seasons, they have great arcs throughout this season. Um, and so I just thought this was a fun season with some fun guys. Uh, Zeke is one of my favorite uh, Survivor players. Um, I really enjoy Zeke. Uh, I, I do like Adam. I know he's not your favorite, but I like him. Uh, and a lot of it is based on this season. Uh, Jay is a lot of fun, which you've kind of picked up on. Jay's uh, my boy. Jay's like your Jay. boy. Uh, I like Jay so much. My first watch through with Jay, I didn't really appreciate him as much as I am this time around. Uh, and I think it was because I lumped him in with Taylor and Figgy, which we'll get to here in a, in a, in a little bit. Uh, I, love, worst. I love David Wright. David Wright is in my top 10 survivors of all time. Uh, he is everything that is not a survivor, in case you were wondering. Like, he is the worst possible, like, body type uh, and, like, type of person that could ever go on Survivor. But, man, is he good at the game, and, man, is he a lot of fun to watch. See, um, and, and with David, of course, I, this is my first watch of this season, and I, as we've covered before <laughs> at length, uh, I did watch uh, Edge of Extinction, and I enjoyed David on Edge of Extinction, and but now watching the first couple episodes of the season, I'm going, why did he sign up for this? He seems to not enjoy any of this. This is not. Let me thing. tell you, Jeremy, David on this season is about 100 times better than David on Edge of Extinction. And I love David on Edge of Extinction. Don't get me wrong. 
he was phenomenal for Edge. But he is even better this season. Um, again, one of my favorite players to ever play the game um, in David Wright. Um, there's some other players that I also just, you know, they're they're fun. Um, I'm trying to think of, of some of the ones. Michaela uh, is a ton Michaela. of fun. Oh, my goodness. I could honestly, if they just did an episode in the middle of this season of Michaela facial expressions, I'd be okay with it. I'd watch that. Because she has the best facial expressions of anybody. Like, she doesn't say things on camera about anybody. But her face says everything. Uh, she doesn't use words to say it. It is phenomenal to watch Michaela's expressions. Which kind of brings me to my first point about this season. Is, and before we kind of break down the first two episodes. it In terms of, of, of watchability and enjoyment at least from the first couple episodes, this millennial tribe is so much more interesting. It yeah. is not Oh, close. my gosh. And now, Justin, what year were you born? Uh, 1994. Oh, my goodness. Good Lord. I know. I'm young. But you are, in, in, at least by their definition, you are a millennial. So the one thing that's frustrated me so far, I do like this theme, millennials versus Gen X. Um but because of it, we, we talked about this a little bit with our lat with Kageon with the, the beauty brain. What's the third one? Brawn. Uh, but with, they really hammer these, these stereotypes. And, and as somebody who is a millennial, we both are, and, and who's, you know, obviously this, this was recorded several years ago. But mm-hmm. as somebody who's lived in the world during the last several years, and read all the articles about all the things millennials are destroying and all the things that we've done wrong uh, through two episodes, they could not have hammered home the millennial stereotypes anymore. Right. Um, and they, like even, they, and they even got chose... the most millennial millennials. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Like, I was waiting on someone to be like, um, I sample uh, small, craft ba- small batch craft blueberries for a living, um, <laughs> and I also sniff honeysuckle. Uh, I get paid, you know, like it was just, I'm a professional video game player. I don't have a job. (laughs) I'm a surf instructor. You know, like it was just. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, no, it definitely felt that way. And it's one of those things where like you and I have talked about this. Our buddy Kenny Rivers is a, he's a huge uh, HGTV fan. Uh, and like listening to them list off their jobs. It felt like they were about to go on property brothers and buy their first home. Uh, Yeah. (laughs) I push pencils for a living, and my wife is a is a yoga instructor who only works on Thursdays. Uh, yeah, like it was and, just you know, it, there were millennial like, millennials, and it's like I guess it just stood out because Zeke, I don't I, his job is relatively normal. I don't remember what it is, but it's it's just a you know uh, I'm an account executive or something. But it just felt like all of these people, and, and every other sentence about them was, oh, well, you know, they're flaky. Oh, you know, they like to quit. Uh, the participation trophies over and over <laughs> again. And, and, and I know that's what makes the, the theme, right? That's, that's what sets the theme in. That's what really sets these two tribes apart. Let me ask you, though, Jeremy. Like, you've watched a, a couple of seasons now, or a few, like, what, five or six seasons now. Do you prefer the themed season? Or just in in terms of theme, I mean like lifestyle theme, whether that be beauty, brain, brawn, uh, millennial Gen X, David versus Goliath would be another one, uh, which is kind of the little man versus the big, not not physically even, but like has made it in life versus the people that are maybe struggle. Um, 
do you like those kind of seasons or are you more into the like just straight up like maybe it be like edge of extinction type season island of the idols type theme or just maybe like token chains where it's just a season I, I think I would prefer the straight-up seasons, but I think the themes allow those seasons to excel. If they had done 40 seasons of, well, here's 16 to 20 people, and we're going to put them in two tribes, and they're going to do some games, and then <laughs> vote each other off, it wouldn't have lasted. I think the themes help push the game along, and it makes it refreshing there's no loss with the theme because if you have a theme and it works great. Um, like I really think as much as I'm complaining about the way they talk about millennials, this theme works. Everybody it's a good theme. And because it's simple, everyone who is in the millennial tribe is a millennial and everyone who's in the gen X tribe is a member of gen X. Uh, whereas with the beauty brains, uh, brawn theme, you had some, um, is LJ really like? Is that really the right tribe for him? You know, uh, right? Well, and I, I, I think with this, the theme works, and it, 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 and if the theme works, it's great. If the theme doesn't work, when you come back the following season or two seasons later with just straight up Survivor, it makes that season feel so and, much better. And, but see, it's something else with this theme thing, especially with this particular theme, is everybody fits into this category in terms of. And I won't say everybody, but like the general survivor viewing audience is going to be millennial or Gen X. Is that not pretty fair? I mean, well, you yeah. might have some from that are a little bit younger than I am that watch the show um, and maybe a little bit older than. Uh, I mean, if, if you look at their age brackets that they set up was 1963 to 1997. Well, at the time that this aired. Uh, that, that's that, their viewing audience. Yeah. 1963 would have been. 53 years old, uh, 1997 would have been 19. So you're yeah. looking at 19 to 57. That's the demographic. That's actually a couple demographics, really, that every primetime television show is reaching to. And so, so when, you, when you hit on that as your theme, that makes those particular people want to watch it, you would think. Or at least that's what you would theorize, that, that if you're a Survivor fan, um, at those ages, that particular theme might pull you in even more um, and make you be like, oh, yeah, I totally agree. Look at them kids with them participation trophies. Or like the, the, for the other side of it, it's like, even though I know they're not boomers, it's like, okay, boomer, yeah, you're angry about this. Because yeah. boomer doesn't necessarily apply to the actual boomer generation. It applies to anybody old. It applies um, to anyone who is not 30 is treating you like garbage because you're 35 you know right Uh, and so it just like this particular season to me the theme works really well because it appeals to a lot of people like brain brawn and beauty like i'll be honest i'm a smart guy maybe i fit into brain other than that though like i'm not beautiful and i'm definitely not brawn justin Um, i think you're beautiful Thank you, Jeremy. I think you're 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 Jeremy. Um, wow, wow. <laughs> no, you're a smart guy. You're beautiful and you're brawny. There we go. You're all three. I would have yeah. a hard time pick anyway. Uh, <laughs> no, but seriously, like the some of these seasons, like that are are set to a, a certain theme. I don't necessarily. I'm not going to be able to connect as well with. 
I think blood versus water. I can connect with that because I imagine, like, if I was playing with my mom, I'd vote her out immediately. First chance I got. I love you, mom. But, like, I'm going to send you home because you're probably going to hurt my game at some point. Because I'm going to feel bad if we get to a certain point and I have to send you home. So I'm going to send you home early. Uh, (laughs) Sorry, mom, if you somehow listen to this podcast. Uh, I would not vote your mom out. You hear that? That's very nice. I I would not vote you out. Because you're probably scared of Renee, if we're being honest. Uh, Renee is a scary woman. Uh, Renee don't play. She she would hurt me if she heard this. does not play. She doesn't. Uh, So... But, like, some of the seasons I don't necessarily connect with as well, but Millennials versus Gen X is a very connectable season. Like, it's – and that goes back to why I kind of picked this for you and I. It's because we both fit into that category. We both can relate to a lot of what's being said and being played on the season. And, really, I kind of relate more to those – the borderline players, so, like, Zeke and David Wright, who were on Millennial – one's on Millennial, one's on Gen X. But, like, the way they act, you could – they're more on that line of like, they're not really a millennial, but they're not really Gen X stereotypes. They're just kind of regular old dudes. And I um, will say like that, that's something that they did early in the first episode that was really good is while they were playing up, you know, I have to give credit to production because it kind of um, sounded like I was dogging them. Uh, and you, you reminded me of something is early in that first episode, um, as they're setting up the camps and they've been separated by tribe and and it kind of seemed like they didn't know that was the gimmick when they, when they came out there and then that Jeff revealed to them that they were split up ages, uh, which that's the other cool thing. Like you said, not only does that encompass most of the viewing audience that would encompass most people who would play survivor. Um, that that nineteen to fifty three, so they can put them on two boats, bring them in, and th- it wouldn't look unusual that everybody out there was like, you know, Will's a little young; he's eighteen at the time. But you know, uh, the 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 cast ranges from eighteen to fifty three. I would be willing to bet that most years, without with a, with maybe an, an older outlier, the cast ranges from about eighteen to early fifties. So they bring them out there in two boats, they split them up, and as they get to the tribe, one of the things Zeke says early on is. I'm, you know, I don't like social media. Uh, I don't, I, I don't really fit in with this age bracket. But yeah, technically I'm a millennial, but I've never called myself a millennial. And so that was kind of a unique thing they set up early on was that right. there are people in both tribes. And and like you said, David, uh, one of the, the things they really tried to push with the, uh, the Gen Xers is that they, they do it. They get out there and they work hard and they're going to, uh, just make it happen. And David's over there going, hold on, uh, the machete's loud. Can we Can we not uh, <laughs> swing the machete so hard? Um, I, I don't like to hear that ting sound. That that scares me. Um, he, he couldn't snap the little baby log. I mean, and this is not me hating on David Wright. David Wright is my favorite player this season, and it's not close. But dude is, he, he uses the term neurotic. Um to describe himself and and <laughs> just he does not fit in with the rest of the Gen X tribe. But I can tell you, like you throw him on that millennial tribe, I don't know that he's he's not in the, the cat birth seat at this point because like he would kind of fit in with everybody kind of not doing anything and 
he'd be kind of chilling and like I think he would relate to them pretty well, which you know, those type of players, Zeke and David, could be huge threats at the merge. I'm not gonna give anything away, but those are both players. Um, I obviously know you know who won the season because you watched Winners at War, but you don't know how we get there. So I, I don't yeah. want to spoil anything. But both of those players, based on their types from the first episode, you think, well, you know, if they can just get to the merge or even to a tribe swap, they would fit in really well with some of the other players because they don't necessarily fit the stereotype of either one of these tribes. So I think they've done a, they, they did a fantastic job of setting up the season with just some really likable players. Um, and you also had some some villainous players uh, that you just, like, immediately I was like, huh, I'm not a fan of these people. These are not my kind of people. Yeah, um, yeah there, there are definitely some people like that. But let's, you know, we, we started with episode one. I know there's some stuff, especially in episode two, that we want to get to. So um, they get to their camp, they start to build, and this is an, a really unusual um start to the season because uh of course one of the elements huh, elements of survivor is having to <laughs> battle the elements and you're out there on the island and you build your own shelter but the storm was so bad there in Fiji that they actually first gave them a tarp to use with their shelter that they're trying to build mm-hmm. and then they evacuate everybody from the island and that's yeah. I've never seen that before. Right. Like I've watched, especially some of those early seasons, like I've watched them endure some some pretty tough rain. I mean, they're miserable. Uh, I've seen people quit because of that. Um, you know, I think of some people in Nicaragua that quit because of the rain being so bad. Um, I believe it was uh, Pearl Islands. We had somebody quit um, because he was just tired of the elements. But I've never seen Jeff step in and just say, hey, this storm has been upgraded to a cyclone. We need to get you out of here because I don't know that you'll make it through. And and that was a really good thing that they did because the storm did get bad. And on the Gen X side of things, a a tree fell directly through their shelter. And they all, you know, uh, (laughs) – The, the, the real human, because I've had that happen at my house. We had a tree fall on our house, and luckily nobody yeah. was here, destroyed a good good portion of our second floor. Um, would, would have been really bad if people had been home. Um, and and the, the reactions that you saw from them were so real, the shock of nobody wanting to voice, if we had been here, somebody could have died. And right. that's very real. Because when you voice that, that's a real moment, and that, and you could tell nobody wanted to say. I think it was uh, what's her name, um, Cece. Cece, that's what I was thinking it was. Cece said, "If we, wow, if we had been here, somebody, somebody could have gotten, just... somebody could have gotten really hurt." And, yeah, and and that's all she said. And then in reality, from that's it. death. Yeah, somebody. I mean, it, very real. A tree fell directly where they would have been sleeping. It, it could have been could have been real bad. Well, and and something with that is, and this kind of goes back to something we've talked about uh, at length before. So I won't go too in depth with it. Is that people sometimes say that Survivor has gotten soft, and so when they think, oh, well, they're evacuating, that's not even Survivor. I'm sorry, but this is life or death in some of these situations, 
And I genuinely believe a tree falls on you. The likelihood of you surviving, especially when as far as they are from medical, true medical attention, the odds of them surviving would have been relatively slim compared to if they were chilling in the Ponderosa eating rice. Yeah. Um, I would rather the integrity of the game, so to speak, be at risk than someone's life being at risk. I don't get enjoyment from my favorite show being so difficult that someone could die. Yeah, um, and, and I think, you know, and, and I still think no matter when in the game, let me say this first, no matter when you are in the game, I think the right move in those elements, in that circumstance, is to pull them off the island and put them somewhere safe. But it would have been different strategically maybe 10 days in, 20 days in, 30 days in, where you start to get to, well, you know, because we've seen seasons. Kagiyan's a perfect example. Uh, Tony didn't eat. Uh, t- Tony spent some days not eating because uh, the, they had the reward, they had the uh, auction. And he didn't, um, he didn't spend any money on food. He was saving it for an advantage, right? Right. Um, other people did. Well, you take him to Ponderosa. There's probably some food options there that um, he takes advantage of. That his choice not to eat becomes it kind of gets mitigated a little bit. Now, and you and, and other players might say at that point, well, it's really. But at this I don't, point in the game, there were two days in. I don't know how true this is, but I've always heard the rumor that, like, when people go to, like, before Edge happened, but, like, when people were sent to uh, Redemption Island, that they were were being housed in Ponderosa, but they were still only eating, like, a cup of rice a day. Ah. And so I don't know how true that is, but my understanding is that even when they're sent to Ponderosa, they're not eating cheeseburgers. They're not eating spring rolls and, and, and all the stuff you see at the reward. When they're sent there to be housed, they're supposed to sleep on the floor and eat rice. That's okay. my understanding. So in that case, like even then, Tony's decision wouldn't have mattered. If that's a true rumor, again, I don't know. I don't claim to know all the ins and outs of Survivor. I've watched a good bit of Survivor. I've heard a lot of Survivor rumors. Um, but there are people that are a lot more knowledgeable than I am on ter- in yeah. terms of that. Um, I don't know that I've labeled myself even a super fan yet. Um, I'm definitely like a big fan. Um, but I have heard that when you get sent to Ponderosa, when you're still technically active in the game or potentially could get back in the game, that you are still limited on what you can eat. And I think it's just like a cup of rice. You're supposed to lay on the floor. They try to replicate the elements as much as they can. Obviously not like being outside and the winds and the rain, but in terms of like what you can eat and how your sleeping conditions are, they do try to replicate it enough that there's no competitive advantage to being necessarily or minimize or mitigate the, the potential advantage to being at Ponderosa. Well, and yeah, and, and so that's fair. I, but I definitely think my, my, my larger point was that Two days in, none of that matters. Right. You could, if, you could if, have, even if you did give them a cheeseburger at that you point. Could, yeah, exactly. You can send them all over there. You can feed them normal. They can sleep in beds. It doesn't matter. There's 20 people. They've only spent – I think they had spent one night there at that point. It, I, I think you would have been fine. Um, and so they, they go through that. They get back. They get their, their um, shelters built again. And they do a kind of a cool immunity challenge. Uh, this is the one where um, it was your 
normally would be just your standard survivor obstacle course um, <laughs> with a puzzle at the end. But this one had a couple of points in the obstacle course where they could choose to take a shortcut, which would obviously get them to the end faster, but mm-hmm. they would have more puzzle pieces to, com- to, to yeah. complete. And, it was and 60, I really, 70, and 50, right? Yeah, if, if you didn't use either of the shortcuts, you, used fi- you got 50. Uh, if you used one of the shortcuts, you got 60, which the, oddly enough, the Millennials didn't use both shortcuts. Um, and so they did 60 puzzle pieces, and then Gen X used both, and they had 70 puzzle pieces. Now, one of the shortcuts, um, and Jeff even said this, which I think was fair, uh, Gen X almost had to, because one of, the, one of the obstacles, you had to crawl through like a rope tunnel. And yeah. a couple of the Gen X guys, they're not fat. But they're big, broad guys, and I don't know yeah. that they could have gotten through that tunnel. Realistically, the, the only the only guy on that tribe that I can think of that would make sense to get through that is David Wright. Yeah, the rest uh-huh. of them they would have they, they may still Ken, be hung up in those ropes five years later. If Ken's they a pretty like Ken's probably the best in shape person on Gen X, and he's still a pretty burly guy. Like he's a big dude. Yeah, um, like he's th- he's the kind of guy three... you don't want to meet in the alley. And there are three more guys that are bigger and broader than him. So right. they, they almost had to do it. Um, and, and the millennials end up winning, which I think was huge for them because um, they had to, if they lose the confidence of the way this season is set up and the way the millennial generation is perceived, if they go ahead and lose that first challenge, I, I, it may have been a spiral for them. Um, and I thought they were going to lose it, to be honest, because of how well uh, Gen X used their uh, the advantage of taking both shortcuts. And yeah. the fact that, like, even though it should have been easier for the, the millennials to get through that rope course, they did struggle a little bit with it. It yeah. wasn't as hard. I mean, it wasn't as easy for them. There, there was, you know, some hangups with with guys like Zeke. Um, I'm trying to think of anybody else that might have gotten hung up in it because all their guys are relatively small guys. Uh, Jay and uh, uh, Taylor and um, Will, so all those guys are relatively small. Um, but there were still some hangups in there because there were so many ropes. Yeah, it was tough. Uh, but they did super well on the puzzle. Yeah, they uh, did. Which, they they really flew through the puzzle. We've talked about before is the puzzle a little bit too. If you're super good at a puzzle, you can erase pretty much any lead to a team or a person that isn't as well versed at puzzles. And that's why I struggle with Survivor, modern Survivor sometimes where it's like every single challenge has a puzzle element. And that's kind of annoying to me. Um, yeah, no, I, I agree with you because um, it, it the, the puzzle... It's important to be smart, but like puzzle skills is a weird thing for Survivor to have gotten so focused on. You know, like it's it's right. a weird. It doesn't I, really apply to surviving. Like pu- being I, good at puzzles I, doesn't really apply to surviving. But it's also not a really prevalent real world skill. Like it's not I, like you do a lot of puzzles in life. Right. Like I appreciate the puzzles. Don't get, I enjoy watching some of the puzzles, but I don't think it should be added to every single challenge. And sometimes it feels like that there are challenges. This one, maybe not the case, um, but there are challenges where they just add a puzzle part to it just because. Like, there are some challenges that you can end at the part before the puzzle. 
and they decide to go ahead with the puzzle anyway, if that makes sense. And I appreciate what they're trying to do, I think, with the puzzles. I think what they've tried to do is make it where, particularly in the individual stage, where people who are – make it where your Joe Anglums and your Aussies uh, don't win every challenge. But what it ends up doing is it ends up, if, if you have too many of them, is it ends up making it impossible for people who would physically be the best at surviving on an island. Mm-hmm. It makes it impossible for them to win. Um, right. And, and so a, the, a little bit more balance would, would be nice. But the, in this one, millennials win. Gen X goes back to camp. And um, it, <laughs> it's a stereotypical... I would be willing to bet if we went back and we cataloged the first boot in all 40 seasons, probably 30 of them would fit into this category, or, or maybe not 30, but a lot, where somebody's just a little bit annoying and that gets them sent home. And that's what this is. Rachel, uh, she's a little bit bossy. In the first challenge, she claims she's good at puzzles and she isn't and has to be replaced. <laughs> and... She goes home, and and a lot of them. I just think in the last few seasons, Reem. That's why she went to. That's why she was the first person on the edge of extinction. Her tribe lost first, and she was kind of annoying at camp. Oh, did Natalie? Natalie lost the puzzle on their first tribe, right? Or on the first challenge, right? Natalie was a little bit different. Well, no. What happened with Winners at War? I do think she maybe have a hiccup at at uh, the puzzles, but it was a little bit different in that. She and Jeremy had a pre-existing relationship. Everybody on the tribe knew it. And and when I say relationship, I mean they've worked together on Survivor. And they right. had to vote somebody out, and it became an easy... Well, Jeremy and Natalie uh, worked, have, worked together, and... have worked together before. We need to break that up. And um, Jeremy she is a better She also struggled asset. on the post. She, yeah. she also struggled, and Jeremy is really good at challenges. We'll send her. But... You know, you think about thir- who went home first on thirty nine. I don't remember Ronnie. Ronnie, he was kinda, annoying as who got on people's nerves. God. And so, and 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 what's interesting is on he the gave millennial- himself a nickname, Jeremy. I, sorry, yeah. I can't let that go. Did I, he give himself a nickname, or is did. that his nickname from the poker tour? I have no idea, but he called himself that in the first episode, and that annoyed me to no end. He was like, "Yeah, I'm cool, Ronnie." Or something on this line, yeah. And it just annoyed me to no end. And, and, and on that go, and on <laughs> the millennial side, they even talk about this over the first couple episodes of like coming on too strong early, and that's kind of what Rachel did. She came on too strong. She was bossy at camp. She was, uh, she asserted herself as a puzzle wizard and wasn't very good at puzzles, and that got her sent home. Well, and her and David were basically fighting for who could annoy the most people on the right. tribe. Because David annoyed in a different way. Uh, he just was very paranoid. Um, it was very, I think, I think I'm going home. Uh, uh, and, and, and that guy, I think he's going to look for an idol. Y'all watch him. If he comes back with something in his hand, you just, you, you better watch And then it. David was the and first so one to he, take off and look for idols. Right. And so I think that, which I think for David, it was because he was socially aware enough to realize, oh, goodness. I have painted myself as the target. I need an idol to survive. I really believe that's what happened. Um, is I think he realized socially, like, I've made a mistake. They're all kind of pissed at me. They're all kind of annoyed with me. I need to go find this idol just in case. Um, and so 
it ends up coming down to David seems like someone they can work with if they have to a little bit more than Rachel. So Rachel goes home first. Yeah, and that's really what it is. And it's just, it goes back to like, uh, you and I have discussed like the strategy if, if somebody goes on Survivor and one of the first things you got to do, you do not want to stand out in a negative way early. You can, you can be a pain in the tail on day 30. You cannot be a right. pain in the tail on day one. You just can't. And and yeah. and that's what happened. She was. Oh, and she had the the interaction with was it Paul, super early, where she was like, <laughs> "You you act like you do everything, but you really don't do anything. You just you just complain a lot." Yeah. And I'm like, bro, yeah. like you just called this man's entire life out in front of this whole tribe, while you're giggling as he is digging a hole. Like, yeah, I'm not a big fan of Paul either. He's not my favorite. Um, I think that's his name. It may not be. Paul. Um, yeah. It is Paul. Okay. Um, he's. I'm not a big fan of Paul. But you know what? You don't tell Paul that on day you one. You cannot. Because that's how you go home. And she did. And, and at that point, Paul has a pretty decent standing with some of the other people in the tribe. Yeah. Because there are other man's man's type of people on there like uh, – the, Brett and uh, Brett other David? No. Chris. 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 I know it was just a standard Brett white dude name. Right. I, I thought it was David. Yeah, it could have been. It might uh, as well have been. Because I, I kept wanting to call him David, David Chris, last night Scott, was... and something. Right. Chad, um, <laughs> Kyle, uh, any of those names. Justin, but Jeremy, Brett, you know. Justin and Jeremy, <laughs> you know, the usual. Uh, but no, like Brett and, and Chris are man's men, and so they enjoy the the kind of guy that Paul is. And so when you call out Paul for being, a, I'll just call it a jackass, you're kind of calling Brett and Chris a jackass. And so I think that's kind of where she messed up, is that not only was she annoying, but she also started calling out members of the tribe who were in pretty decent standing with other folks. Yeah, yeah. So she, so she ends up going home, and, and it's a good segue to the second episode because at the big, early in the second episode, um, David's still in trouble. He's looking for an idol. He finds one, and somewhere in there, Paul, the oldest man on the – the oldest person on the, the show or this, this season, falls out on the beach and looks like he's having a heart attack. Collapsy claps. Looks like he's having a heart it attack. It was rough. Yeah. Yeah, it was bad. Ends up it was just kind of heat exhaustion, and they let him continue playing, which, again, kind of – it's funny because, you know, I've only seen in recent memories of five or six seasons, and so far everybody who they call medical for goes home. So yeah. when they call – We've seen people go home for like a knee – A bruise. And a, and a, a, a rotten knee. Um. So yeah. for this guy, a stomach for ache. this guy to seemingly <laughs> be having a heart attack, and they're like, "No, he's getting stay." I was like, "Huh, okay." That seems not not that what he had going on was that serious. But if it were me, and I'm making the decision, and I know if they've got me on camera evaluating this guy, and I say he can stay, and then he dies, um, I'm gonna get sued. I would be right. if you if I'm on the medical team. Anytime you call me out for anything other than a broken bone, pack, pack you're your gone, bag, sir. You're gone. If it's if right. it's if it's not a cut or a broken bone, you're going home. That's that's just the way it is. If I have to come evaluate you because you're passing out on the beach, 
Pakistan. Well, and we've seen it though in in seasons. Oh goodness, uh, thirty two. So we're watching thirty three, right? Yeah. Uh, the season before that, there's multiple metal, medical evacuations for heat exhaustion. Yeah. So to see Paul go not go home for basically the same issue that, and I can I can reveal well I won't reveal them because we'll watch that season because that's one of my favorite seasons too because um, I love Aubrey. Uh, which we've talked about maybe before on the podcast. If not on the podcast, I've told you this in real life. She is she is my survivor crush. Um, if if Aubrey ever listens to this, she is my favorite, uh, aside from my boy Rick Devins. Uh, but anyway, uh, in in that season in thirty two, you see people go home for basically the same issue that. Paul's having the only difference is is those people did it during the middle of a challenge. Paul's just doing it, chilling on the beach, yeah. maybe throwing a couple air punches here <laughs> and there because he likes to do that. Um, he likes to beat up the air. Um, the air is, and so the air is really getting yeah. to him. Uh, so anyway, like that particular that that did strike me that they didn't send him home, but kudos to Paul. He comes back out in the immunity challenge and rocks. Yeah, he did. But before that, because this is something we wanted to get to. Before that, um, we see, at least in the seasons that we've watched and reviewed, we see our first showmance, Justin. Taylor and Figgy making out in the... Fig tails. In the shelter. And Michaela catches them and calls them out which I thought was was bold on Michaela's part because I felt like that was her coming out a little bit too strong. Um, but but we, we have our first showmance. And, and one thing that I was not aware of that you kind of made me aware of when we were watching season 39 is how, yeah. how frowned upon the showmance is among the survivors. Yeah, I mean, like, basically, if you uh, even look like you might think about cuddling, um, you're probably going home. Yeah. Uh, or at least you're going to be targeted. Uh, the showmance is something that, and, and I'll tell you why, is because of Rob and Amber. Rob and Amber make it all the way to the end as a showmance in season eight. They're one and two. They finish first and second. And from that point on, like in, in watching the gameplay from Rob that season, he screwed over ally after ally from my understanding. I haven't seen the season uh, in many years. I think it was one of the last ones I watched as a child. Um, I don't remember it very well, but from my understanding, just from survivor history and late reading up on some stuff is that basically Rob would sacrifice anybody and everybody for his showmans to make it work. And Hey man, Credit to my boy Boston. I mean, Rob. He's, he wiped her up. He's made it work and got kids. They've uh, let's let's beyond that. Married four kids, two million dollars between them, just off of winning on Survivor. They've also played Survivor anytime they've wanted to. Essentially, uh, he got to come back for Island of the Idols, and I would guess he made a pretty penny off of that. Uh, plus, he's basically the face of Survivor, and she's mentioned way higher in the pantheon of survivor than she would be otherwise. So it, it worked out. Right. I mean, it, it worked out for them, but I do think that it, it cast that, um, cloud over 
the showman's. And obviously it's different in a blood versus water season where a wife and a, and a husband are going to work together, a boyfriend and girlfriend, or whatever it may be. Outside of those kind of seasons, though, like if you're a showman and there's that pre-established, or not even pre-established, but like Vicky and, and Taylor like connect so well off the bat that you're like, oh, these people might date long term. We see it a lot more often in like Big Brother. Um, cause actually this past season, I'm a big, big brother fan. I know you're not. Um, but this past season in big brother, the first and second place finisher was the showman's. So like, they're still having it happen over there where I guess the, the house guests haven't learned that like, you don't let the showman stick around cause they will make you pay and they're going to choose themselves over like anybody else, anytime they can. And so for Figgy and Taylor to put that target on their back so early of like, yeah, we're making out in the shack. Um, it, it, it is definitely frowned upon. And it's just... We saw it in... Th- you mentioned 39, was it? It was Dean uh, and Chelsea. Dean and Chelsea, They yeah. hadn't even gotten to the point that Taylor and Figgy were at. They were just kind of getting close. They looked at each other. And maybe there was more to it With than what we saw. Eyes. But, like, <laughs> there, we did see them, like, cuddle at night. But it was it wasn't any more than, like... The other times when there's eight people in a shelter, they were just, they were close and they were cuddling and then she was gone. Like that's, I couldn't tell you a single other thing about Chelsea from that season other than she cuddled. I saw her cuddle with Dean one time and then they sent her home. That's all I know about that girl. And so Figgy and Taylor do it. Of course, they get a little cute with, with each other in terms of now they're fig tails. There's a, there's a nickname involved. There's, you know. Like, they're clearly very into each other. Um, and which, after the show, I'll go ahead and reveal it because we've talked about this a little bit. Uh, they break up because they're kind of dating uh, as they leave the show. They do break up because when Taylor gets home, he finds out he has a kid on the way. Um, he did an interview with, with, I think it was Entertainment Weekly or something. And he revealed he had to break up with her because when he got home, I guess the girl he had been seeing that was like, at one point, maybe a fiance or a serious girlfriend. He broke up with her. He gets home. He finds out that he's got a kid on the way. And was like, all right, deuces, sorry. Um, and so Figgy is devastated, obviously. But it kind of shows you how deep that level of connection was for the two of them. And kind of, you know, one of the things that, that some of the survivors mentioned on the season was that they were worried more that, Figgy was controlling Taylor to the point that she was going to get two votes at every trial. Yeah, because let's be real. Um, Taylor, my boy's not real smart. He's not. Like, he's just, he's not a smart dude. Like, if we did brains, bronze, and beauty for this season. The boy is not on brains. no doubt he is not on brains. I don't know if he's, if there is a, I don't know if if there's a negative version of that season, like, like, like not smart, not beautiful, and not strong. Dumb, ugly, and My weak. Boy. I don't think we're doing that one, Justin. <laughs> <laughs> but what? I was trying not to be rude. <laughs> I, don't, um, I don't think that's what we're doing. Uh, but if we were, and David Wright is on the weak tribe. I'm sorry, I had to is. do that. Yeah, no, he is. I love my boy David, but you're right. Yeah. But Taylor if is we had bag of season, He's not smart, and he's got a bad haircut, so I don't know if he could be on beauty. I don't know what he would do. But he's a nice dude. He's nice. I think he, 
he's got, well, I don't even know if he's nice because, you know, he's, I don't know. But anyway. He does uh, have blue eyes. Points. Biggie told us how beautiful his blue eyes were, and that's what won her. There we go. That's what won her, the blue eyes. Right. Well, look, they're, they're, they're both, I think, on their own. Like, I've seen someone of Taylor's level of intelligence win a season of Survivor. Um, though I do think the other guy was probably a little smarter, and I think he played up the part of being the surfer idiot a little bit more. Um, I won't mention what season it is because we'll eventually have to watch it, even though it is one of the worst seasons I think I've ever – it is the worst season I've ever watched. But it, I don't know if it's the worst season ever because I've heard there were some that were a little worse than that. Um, but but on their own, I don't know that Figgy wouldn't have been a great player on Survivor. Like, she, she's got some – some things going for her that she seems a little strategic. She is beautiful. Um, she's got things that can play into a normal season, but they both kind of shoot themselves in the foot by sh- forming the showmance. Well, and, and we'll go ahead and get into it a little bit because the showmance happens. It starts. There's some discussion at camp because Michaela gives no craps and she just brings it right out there. She like I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna take this machete I'm gonna whack you upside the head with it, girl. Uh, yeah, which I thought like, was I thought kinda... it was a little strong because I thought while yeah the showman bothers you for some I reason mean, the showman you out here throwing around murder the showman <laughs> is also a part of and I've said showman way too many times it's also a part of a four person alliance in a ten person tribe because in addition to those two they're working with Jay who Jay's reactions to this revelation are a highlight to me like when he was talking about figgy and taylor he has this analogy about the bowling night and i feel like he's got some deep scars from where a a former friend uh (laughs) gave him up apparently he's a bowler i don't know gave him up for uh he got so for a girl i mean it was like you know, yeah. You pick a girl, and next thing you know, your boys are having bowling night, and you can't go because you got to hang out with your girlfriend. And I was like, I mean, just talk about it. Jay. Talk about it, Jay. And then they also had I'm Michelle. Su- Jay just was like, I'm surprised Jay didn't be like, yeah, I'm talking about you, Kyle. Yeah. I'm sorry that I wasn't good enough. Yeah, for I mean, you, bro. he really seemed to burn him deep. And so they're they're with Jay and they're with Michelle. Um, and so. Michaela really, I thought it was a big risk to step out like she did because it could have easily been all they needed was to get one or two more people to join with them and be like, yeah, it's not cool that she kind of outed them for making out. That's a weird thing for her to do. And Michaela could have been going home. It didn't work out that way. Uh, Gen X wins Bro, the next. Michaela, Michaela don't care. Yeah, Let's apparently. Uh, Gen X does win the next tri- uh, immunity challenge. It's a standard Fiji immunity challenge. There's there's diving in the water. There's rings. There's keys. There's a puzzle. Uh, I like that one. That's one of my, my favorites. No, it's fun, but like I, it's just it's a lot. I, I like the way they toss the rings. Like I get into those. It's similar to the like, um, like the basketball ones. I enjoy those kind of challenges a little bit more so than some of the more like puzzly ones. I forgot there wasn't a puzzle. Uh, uh, that was my bad. It, it was yeah. it was the ring toss at the end. That one that one is actually kind of fun. Um, that one to me was more fun because there wasn't a puzzle. And that going back to what we talked to earlier, I would rather see some of them end with these ring toss yeah. or the beanbag toss onto the table. And, Those are more fun to me. Those are more dramatic. And the other uh, thing about that is. Um, this one is the, the rings are kind of big. It's kind of a long throw, but some of those, it's not super physical. The strongest person in the game isn't always going to win that. 
sometimes CC made like three of them for the Gen X drive. Yeah. Or two. Yeah. Then Ken took over for the long tossers. But like CC did really well in hitting the shorter ones. Yeah. So so it, it it if you if you get the right component in some of these challenges, you'll still bring in the talents of the of not the beefiest person on the tribe. You know, I don't think everything should be who could chop down a tree the fastest. But like <laughs> Or, or the you know every every challenge can't be the ones that you and I really like where they're wrestling in the water for whatever they're wrestling for. Like right. everything can't be that way, but you can also find ways to not make it where like Tony didn't win a single immunity challenge in Kagiyan largely because he's bad at puzzles. Um, yeah, in reality, Tony probably should have won about four. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, I like that challenge. Gen X wins and. It looks like Figgy's going home, and then Jay and Michelle pull off. I told you, of the seasons that I've seen, one of the most impressive strategic plays that they pull off, because Jay reaches into Tony's bag of tricks, and he hears a conversation where Zeke says something like, uh, yeah, so we'll, we'll get Figgy now, and then if Michaela... Uh, if we can't bring Michaela into the fold, she'll be next. As an easy vote. I yeah, as an said. easy vote because Michaela had rubbed people the wrong way. When Jay goes to Michaela. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. When, Go when ahead. Jay goes to Michaela, he didn't tell all of it. He said, listen, they're going to take out. And he had Figgy and he had Michaela, which those two are enemies. They don't like each other. Michaela even threatened murder. And <laughs> those, and he's got him to listen. I just talked to Zeke. They're going to vote for Figgy next. I get it. And then they're going to vote for you, Michaela. You're up after that. So we've got to break that up. And it was just, a, I did not expect, as much as I like Jay, I did not expect Surfer Boy to pull out so far the best strategic play because he even recognized in confessionals that Figgy and Taylor messed up and Figgy's going to go. And yeah, he called it like a nuclear missile. Yeah, he's like going. He off said in you put Carolina. a. He said you put a target on your back, and the nuclear missile's coming. He knew it, and he and he knew that they like it wasn't like he didn't recognize that they made the mistake to put that target on their back, and then he pulls off. He draws Michaela in, and yeah, they also got what's mm-hmm. her name, Hannah. Is that the girl's name that they drew in too? Yeah, yeah, they drew in Hannah. Well, they were smart because they they like. Michelle talked about, like, we can't lose more numbers, and she's right. And I know when we were watching, I think you said something along the lines of, well, does Michelle not get that she doesn't have numbers? I think what she was saying is is that if they don't, if they don't get numbers or they don't fight for Figgy to stay, not only do they not have numbers, but they're just going to get picked off one right. by one. So this kind of, like, evens it up a little bit because, or at least puts them back on even ground. Or because the, dyna- the, the dynamic that it pulled out is those four were the cool kids of the millennial tribe. You know, they're the ones they were they were attractive. They're the kids that would have been the cool kids in school, the jocks, you know, whatever. And so they were going to be targeted, especially, you know, uh, let's say it does go Figgy and then Michaela. Well, next it's going to be Jay or it's going to probably not Jay in the tribal phase. It's going to be Michelle. It's going to be. And so they did a really good job of flipping Michaela, Figgy's biggest enemy to their side. At that point, it really didn't matter what happened with the rest, but they did get Will. They did get Hannah and they were able to throw the first blind side of the season. 
um, and get out the girl whose name Mari. I really had nothing wrong. She was just a, a strong player that was kind of a driving force on the other side, but not really. Really, what's ironic is Michaela was the one that was the driving force to get Vicky out. So, and they got her. They it was like they just randomly picked this girl. She had done nothing yeah. wrong, and it was so bad. I felt so so horrible for this girl. And they're sitting at trouble, and Jeff points out that Hannah and Michelle are having a conversation, and they're talking about voting Mari Mari out. And Mari's like, "Oh, it's just Hannah. She's probably talking about rainbows or butterflies or unicorns or doggies. It was it was puppies and what was it?" I can't find it. As, it was puppies and something. And like, you just felt bad for her because she just got wrecked. She has no idea. By the girl she assumed was talking about puppies. And it was just such uh, a brute because so many times you see, and it works to perfection because Jay, like Tony, worked with what he had, worked with what he knew, and it'll never get back to him. But so often, the head of the snake, killing the dragon, you hear all these metaphors. They didn't kill the, cut the head off the snake. They took the head from the snake because Michaela was, was Figgy's number one enemy. Michaela was the one that was the driving force behind Figgy being the target. They grabbed her and pulled her into their number. Right. And the way they did that was just really impressive. And Figgy and Taylor did nothing. To make that happen. It was Michelle talking to Will and Hannah, and it was Jay pulling in Michaela. And they and they got rid of Mari. And that was I mean, I was just really impressed with the strategy there and the way Jay pulled it off and the way Jay used what he had. He didn't have to make anything up because when you just straight make something up, you run the risk of Michaela goes Michaela because she Michaela's unpredictable. She goes to Zeke and said, I heard you were trying to vote me off. And he's like, No, that's not what I said. I said we were going to vote off Figgy, and then if we couldn't get you in our number, you would have to be next. If you want to be a part of our number, that's great. Let's go, me and you. And then now Jay's a target. But Jay didn't do that. He used what he had, and, and he ran with it. And, right. and that, that was so huge for their game. It's such a, it's a smart play. It's a, uh, a well-thought-out play. And it's just using – like. I think oftentimes in Survivor, people get too caught up in coming up with these elaborate lies to get somebody out. When truthfully, you just tell the truth, maybe with a blend of a lie. Like, you can't get too complicated. uh, Because you kind of make it believable enough that the person's not going to run and go, Hey, so this sounded kind of unbelievable to me, so I just need to check with you. Did you say you wanted to get me out? And they're like, oh, no, man, I didn't say that. Well, then all of a sudden, it's back on the person that told the lie. It's always about learning to bend the truth more so than telling lies. Uh, and Jay did a great job of uh, omitting a key part of what Zeke said. But if part of what Zeke said was, we're going to get Michaela out, and then you take a pause, and then you say, you know, uh, next or whatever, and and in reality, there was a lot in between that was like, if we can't get her in the fold. And the important thing, and I'm, I'll give Jay credit that he figured this out. Michaela's the kind of person, even if he says the full truth, she's going to react the same way. But he doesn't tell her the full truth. He lets 
Right. He runs because he knows it ain't going to be any better for Zeke if Michaela comes up to him and says, I heard you were going to vote me out. And then Zeke says, well, I mean, I said if you didn't come into the fold. Oh, now I got to come into your fold to, to, to not get voted out? She's, she's a hothead enough. She's not somebody that... that that is going to make it better. The fact that she was the name that Zeke brought up is is gonna is enough. is enough, but so Jay doesn't have to tell her that part and run the risk that she's gonna go. Oh well, yeah. So I'll just get in with them and vote Figgy out. That's what I want to do anyway. He sets it up to where she, to where it's an all win for the, for his alliance, and it as well as you can play early on when your person and Jay knows Figgy's the obvious choice. Figgy is the one that should have gone. She's a strategic threat. And one thing that I wanted to say about the showmance, do you to come back and kind of tie that up as we, um, as we kind of wrap this episode up? Do you think it'll ever re- get to a point where the showmance comes full circle, and you you look and go, well, yeah, okay, so yeah, maybe the, the, the usually the girl. Let's be real. This girl is going to have two votes at every tribal because she's got him by the whatever. Voticals. The voticals, if you will. Uh, I don't know what to call. Uh, do you the falls, the, the voting? Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Do you do you think it'll ever come full circle where instead of being this is somebody I'm going to vote off, you think I know no survivor is going, no nobody on this cast is going to let one of them win. So well, the other thing I'm going to drag you. Will it, get to, will it get to the point where he goes, one, this is, I've got a double goat, and I'm going to use the fact that if I have Figgy, I also have Taylor, and now I'm an alliance of three without working too hard. Do you think it'll ever well, come full circle where we start to see that, where the showmance is so hated that the sh- you can almost get further with one because... You know what I mean? Do, do you think that Here's happens? Here's the other thing. Like, even if it does get to that point, we're so used to now be, being a final three at the end instead of a final two, which is what Rob and Amber were. So it was either one or the other. One of these showmats was going to win. Now you can take a showmance to the end, and it's not. it actually works in your favor because that means one of the people's guaranteed votes is gone. Like, maybe... Maybe the strongest yeah. competitor is is Figgy, uh, and Figgy's going up against Adam. But like, there's a third person, and that third person is Taylor, and it ends up being like a four four vote. And you need that like that last person could have been Taylor. Instead, it's somebody that's going to vote for Adam. Right. So like in reality, like the showman's now at final three can be such a big hindrance. Because yeah. you've lost a guaranteed jury vote that if that person was on the jury, they're going to vote for you. Yeah. Um, so I- I'll say, like, for Big Brother, I never thought that, like, we've seen showmances get pretty far in the past. You and I are big uh, wrestling fans. Uh, so I'm going to point you to one from Big Brother. Um, our boy Luchasaurus uh, from AEW Luchasaurus. Was, on, was on Big Brother, uh, Austin. And he he had a showmance on the show, and they actually dated for like a year or so after the show. Um, so they were relatively close. Um, they get down to like the final five together, 
and they end up not letting them get to the end, even though once again, it could be a situation where like getting them to final three would not be the worst case scenario. Um, but, or they're never going to let them get to final three, I guess, because it is the worst case scenario. But yet this season, this past season for, for big brother, they let a showman's get to one, two and three and, and, or one and two, uh, for final three, they end up finishing first and second because they were always going to take one another, uh, by promising the other girl that like, Oh, I promise we're not going to, we're not going to take you out. Like we'll, we'll take you over each other if you just vote with us, (laughs) which was dumb. Uh, I never thought we, I never thought we'd see it in, in big brother again, but we did. And so I don't know that it's not possible for survivor to have it. I do think that the stigma on survivor is much deeper. And it's fascinating Um, to me because what's, what's great to me is that it's almost always like people who are in an alliance. Okay, you can you can vote together always and until the end of time as long as you're not cuddling. Like Right. All, Tony and all, Sarah all are JT, much closer. Yeah. All JT and Steven were missing was the cuddling. Like they voted <laughs> you if you got Steven's vote, you got JT. And if you got JT, you got Steven. But they weren't cuddling. Right. So nobody voted them out. And Sarah and Tony were about as close as you can get on this show without the cuddling, and they got to stay till the final four um, and had to beat each other right and so i think you've got to look at it no one if ever you're... voted them out and you knew they were working together from day one right but that goes back to is it not smarter than even if you have a connection with someone to just stifle it on the island don't cuddle because uh, Jack and Elizabeth from season 39, I don't know if they're still dating, but they were dating for a long time after that season ended. I had no idea that they were even attracted to each other. That's because I had no idea. Oh boy, went out pretty quick, didn't he? Jack. Jack stayed around a little bit, right? He was the, he was the weird. He was around long enough. He was around long enough to offend Jamal. That's true. And he was, he was the weird uh, pre-merge jury member. And I don't remember why they did that. Oh, was he pre-merge? He vote. He got voted out right before the merge, but they put him on the jury anyway. And I don't remember why. Oh, that was it because of old buddy that got kicked off the season? Yeah, but they had already put him on the jury before Dan got kicked off. Oh, maybe it's preemptive. I don't know. Maybe, don't maybe, ignore me. Maybe they assumed <laughs> that Dan was going to get vote was going to get kicked off the island, and they went ahead and made, created an insurance. I policy. don't know, but. But no, I thought Jack stayed around long enough to at least that I would have noticed if he and Elizabeth right. had become friends. Right, yeah. Uh, and maybe, look, maybe their romance didn't start until after the hour. Ponderosa, baby. Ponderosa. Right. Ponderosa, or a lot, they have all those survivor parties, too, yeah. um, after everything wraps up. So I say all that to say, no, I don't know that we'll see a return of the showmance because that stigma is just so deep. And a lot of it is because we've seen Rob and, and, and Amber make it so far in the game. And look, we've had survivors date and get married since then, but a lot of them meet after the fact. And you've got you've so, got several, and I, I can't think of any off the top of my head, but you've got several that like they were both on Survivor, but never at the same time. And and they did Yeah, Parv and her husband yeah, were both on Survivor. They they did meet Parv, through Survivor, they, but they weren't on the same island. 
Right. Uh, now, Joe and Sierra, I believe, were on the same season. Um, but I don't think they were as showmancy on the season. I haven't seen Joe's season, so I don't know that for certain. Um, but they obviously, it's harder to vote Joe Engelm out because Joe's just going to keep winning immunity until he doesn't. And then you vote, uh, and then you vote him out. And then you vote him out. Um, so it's harder to say, you know, did that, would that showman's work? Because he can obviously leverage his, uh, he can leverage those those wins. He can leverage who he wants out as because he's the the holder of the uh, immunity necklace. Yeah. Uh, but I think those are kind of the 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 situations where I would just have a hard time believing it. I think more realistic is that people figure out they like each other and just keep it far more on the down low than it is for there to be a resurgence of a showman's maybe making it to final final two or final three. I also think it's funny that like um no one is like assuming the reality of it that like listen, these people just met two days ago and they stink. So this probably isn't gonna work well, out. Well and, Michaela tells us this. And one of them is going to screw up in a challenge and the other one's going to go, Hey, I don't even really know her last name. So let's vote her out. Like that's going to happen. Like, because one of them really not as close as they seem. They're really not. They just met. So like, Nobody says that. Like nobody's like they're nobody's like. I mean, yeah, it's not like they're madly in love. They're at best they're in lust. That they're uh, cuddling, and if anything, we can use this in our favor. The other thing, and maybe we don't discuss this for too long, but the 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 play for someone who's not me because I am married, and if I ever got on the show, I could not pull this off. A fake showmance. Have, yeah, have we I, seen that play yet? Like I don't know. I don't think we have. Like uh, th- that's a really valid, a really valid play. Have a girl. It it would be the girl. Let's be real. The guy could not pull this off. This is one where like right. the the sexism that we know exists would not work in the guy's favor. Um, mm-hmm. The girl, she would she clues in other people on the tribe. She showmances the heck out of some guy, and now she's got his vote in her pocket. But she makes it known to the other people that listen, I, I'm playing this guy. I, he's now, he's a number for me. And then Justin, while I think while this my, happened while, in Micronesia, while I'm pulling on that thread, you have the double fake, Ooh. where she does all that, but really the the showman's is real, and they're playing everybody like a fiddle. There's there's ways you can work this, my man. There's ways you can work yeah. this. Well, I'll tell you if I ever get cast for. Dumb, ugly, and weak survivor. I got you. <laughs> I will. I will do my best to pull this move off. Pull the, when they cast me for that. Right. Um, and don't I, don't even tell me I, on the on the podcast whether you're going single single showman's fake or double showman's fake. I, I, yeah, yeah. I won't say because I don't want it to be used to get against me when I get cast for two out of those three tribes. <laughs> Um, <laughs> I won't say which one. You're on not dumb. <laughs> I'm not dumb. You're right. Um, so there you go. The other two are where I fit. <laughs> oh goodness, we're entertaining if nothing. Um, we're entertaining ourselves. We know that we're entertaining, right? And so, look, I I think you're right. I think the I do believe it happened in Micronesia, 
they got a guy to believe that he was super him to this girl. I could be wrong. I haven't seen the season. We've all seen the clip, though, of him giving up the immunity necklace and then promptly getting voted out, uh, Eric. Uh, I don't know if that was connected to his showmance or not, but I believe so. Uh, one of the girls convinced him that, like, you should give me the immunity necklace, and he does. You do not do that. Um, don't do that, kids. Don't do that. Do not give up your immunity necklace up to any girl or guy just because they say nice things about you. That's right. Well, let's wrap. <laughs> let's wrap with that, Justin. That this seems like a good spot to stop. And uh, we're going to keep watching um, Millennials versus Gen X, and uh, we'll get back to you. And hey, follow us on Twitter. We've got a Twitter now, blinds- at Blindside Rewind on Twitter. We'll, we'll, we'll hopefully do a little bit of live tweeting. You know, when we feel like it. Uh, if there's anything that stands out, uh, but definitely check us out on Twitter. All right. Justin, it's been a pleasure, man. Have a good one, bud. You too.